0: Hi, I'm Isaac, your podcast host, and welcome to This Undefined, the podcast that aims to break down the social context of what you've heard and what you believe. From health, culture, business, and beyond, no topic is left off the table. So tune in as we try to make sense of how we all defined our own perspectives and the people who have an opinion about it. Now, our next series revolves around recovery. Self-care requires practice. And the mindset to live past our own judgments over our body and mind teaches us more about ourselves than we care to realize. In fact, recovery allows us the space to center our focus from all the time and energy we've used to live out our expectations. For like most things in life, it's how we recover from our actions that make all of our efforts even more worthwhile. Our guests in this series highlight different methods we can all be mindful of applying. This is Breathwork, Undefined with guests Shireen Youssef. So how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great.
0: You had a long day today.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I did.
0: (laughs) Well, a lot has been going on with you, I think, right? Yes. I've kept up with you on Instagram. And so a lot of things have happened yeah. over the last I don't know last couple of months last uh, last year. couple
1: of months for sure yeah. yeah it's been been quite the ride for sure yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, so before we start tell who are you tell me a story
1: um, so my name is Shereen Yusuf. I currently live in Houston I'm um, well I just became American um, four yes. days ago so on April twentieth congrats um, thank you very That's much great. Yeah, it's a big deal you know it's, yeah. Um, I think a lot of people don't understand how how long the process takes for a person like me, you know, who kind of came into the U.S. based on work, and it's just a really just just so great to finally live in a country that I actually belong to. Yeah. So it's a it's a great feeling, um, and that's kind of been the theme in my life actually. Like I grew up in Oman, but I wasn't really Omani, you know, and um, I have an Indian. I had an Indian passport. And, you know, I always wondered, like, where do I truly belong to? You know, mm-hmm. am I Middle Eastern? Am I Indian? And, you know, I think it's just a good place to be knowing that I now feel like I belong to both the East and the West. You know, I am mm-hmm. I live here, but I still have so many Indian and Middle Eastern things about me that will always be a part of me. You know, but <laughs> it's just that it just feels good to have that fusion. Um, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's kind of like a quick snapshot of my background, per se, like my ethnicity. Um, I've lived in multiple countries, so I grew up in the Middle East, and then I spent the first decade there, and then the next decade kind of like in India, and then I spent some time in China. I lived in the UK for some time, Mm. came to the US, lived in Louisiana, of course, Texas, and I've lived in Brazil, Colombia, and Africa as well. Wow. So yeah. You've been
0: all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool.
1: Yes. I've, um, I've, I think that was really key for my growth in terms of recognizing both the similarities and dissimilarities between cultures and traditions. Yes. And, you know, what works in one place doesn't work in another place. So that kind of had had me going deeper into who who am i truly like what worked for me in india didn't seem to work for me in the us what worked for me in the us didn't seem to work for me in brazil and so like there had Mm. to be this this point that i kind of got to which regardless of what actually happens in the country who am i you know what works for me and so i think living in all these countries kind of had a lot to do with my own spiritual journey you know
0: that question who are you is always interesting to me and uh it's funny some of my friends are like you are the only person that kind of frames that question that way very straightforward (laughs) i I can meet somebody randomly and be like who are you so who are you and and it's interesting how people answer that question because you get a variety of responses. they either say their career Mm. they say they're a mother they're a father they're whatever and i mean uh, to hear it from the person who's answering, rather hearing, oh, this is this this is my friend. Or yeah. This is waiting to see what someone says can kind of give you an insight into their life yeah, of like yeah. where they're at at that time True. and how things have changed. And I'm sure since you've lived in all over the world, that must have looked different. Oh yeah, yeah. No,
1: yeah. I mean, wow. I think like the base always has been the same though. I think I've always been a happy girl. You yeah. know, I've always been one to push boundaries. I've always been one that never really conformed. I think those things always stayed. Um, but I think my my drivers changed. I mm-hmm. think when I was growing up, I was always trying to prove to others that I could be whoever I wanted to be because I always got, you know, people telling me I couldn't do certain things. Mm-hmm. And so my drivers went from proving others um, that proving others wrong To almost kind of getting to a place where I wanted to prove to myself who I was. To today, I just don't feel like I prove anybody anything anymore. You know, I'm just kind of in this flow state now and I just feel happy a lot of the times and just kind of go with the flow. And wherever I am in that moment in time, I just tend to accept it for whatever it is and be happy in that situation, you know. So, like, I still am. I would say if you looked at my life, you would mm-hmm. still look at me as somebody who was pushing boundaries and still doing things that are very outside my comfort zone. But I don't feel like that anymore. I just feel like I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody. Yeah. I'm just having a great time, you know.
0: Yeah, oh, that's great to get to that <laughs> point of life now. Oh, wow. What do you think? Uh, what... What initiated that shift looking back now?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, Wow. This is getting to be a very loaded
0: conversation. (laughs) I know. (laughs)
1: Um, So I would say um, my relationship with spirituality has really, really, like, taken a very drastic turn. You know, so I grew up Muslim, and I spent uh, probably the first eight to nine years of my life Um, following Islam quite ardently, actually. So Mm -hmm. I was very close to my grandmother and she and I used to pray all the time. And it's kind of interesting to me because even here I've noticed most people actually get religion, or religious beliefs from their grandparents most of the time. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I kind of, um, she passed away. And so I would say I probably was more atheist agnostic for about the next, I would say, at least 20 to 22 years of my life. Um, and so like I I would just say that I didn't really think about God at all um, but that being said you know I won't say that I wasn't spiritual mm-hmm. am I going to compare myself to who I am today to back then I don't think there's even a comparison really but I think there was always an undertone of feeling that whatever I'm doing is for something bigger than myself mm-hmm. I just could never figure out what that was and I think I felt there was always this hole in my heart like I always felt like there was something lacking and I think that was truly why I had the life that I had because I think it was that hole which I was constantly trying to fill up and I filled it up with different things I filled it up with travel with Mm -hmm. hiking with you know mountain climbing with all of these different things um, you know, including partying and including going out, including boys, like mm-hmm. all of it. You know, there's this need to constantly want to fill this hole in my heart. Yeah. And I would say the first time I got into a practice that kept the hole filled for a prolonged period of time was actually breath work. Okay. So that was probably the first time that, you know, I started noticing things, right? I started noticing connections. I started noticing You know, the trees around me, the birds around me, the flowers around me. Like, I used to notice them, but I started noticing them in a different way. Mm -hmm. And I started noticing, like, I realized, breathwork kind of made me realize how judgmental I was. Mm -hmm. Because even though I was living in all these different countries, I always still saw differences. Right? I would Mm -hmm. look at people and I'd be like, "Ah, you don't know what it's like, you know, Mm -hmm. being a Muslim girl growing up in this environment. Or I would look at somebody and I'd be like, man, like... You don't know what it was like to live in this situation or that situation, or you don't know what it was like to work in a country like China where I couldn't even speak Chinese. You know, like that was always the background dialogue was the need for me to establish that I was different. And I think the more breath work came into my life, the more I started seeing how we're all not different, how we're all really going through the same thing, but we're all speaking a different language. And so how I like to explain it is, love is love no matter where you live. Love in Brazil is love in France, is love in India. Mm-hmm. But in India, you say, hu. Whereas in French, you'll say, mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in Portuguese, you say, Te amo. Mm-hmm. So the three different ways of saying the same thing. Yeah. But the feeling when you say, I love you, it's the same, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so like, I think the more I started doing breath work, the more I started recognizing like, it doesn't matter who you are, you have to breathe. Mm -hmm. I have to breathe too. You have lungs, I have lungs. You have a heart, I have a heart. You have two eyes, I have two eyes. And so instead of seeing the differences more, I started seeing the similarities more. And I think that truly was where I started getting more and more into this whole zone of we aren't different we're all connected we're all together and like i started experiencing others pain others happiness like i don't think i really ever recognized how similar happiness is for all of us yeah. you know and i that's one of the things i do in my workshops is talk about happiness a lot you know and nobody ever has the same definition for happiness yeah, boy, yeah. but then i always break it down and i always explain to people happiness is tied to your desires mm-hmm. and that's it and so if you control what you desire, or you know what you desire, then being in a state of happiness is very easy.
0: Mm, yeah, th- you pretty much nailed it on the head. I, it's very beautiful and powerful, because I, we're, we live in an age where we've, we're celebrating everyone's uh, differences and how cool that is, and that's great. Um, but I think within all those differences, there's a commonality that we're all trying to experience, and I think you described it well with breath being that that kind of anchor, that kind of anchors yeah. everyone into where, where is this going to take me, and getting into like the philosophical part of breath can kind of bring up some interesting questions sure. on like how I mean, like the first thing you do when you when you're born is take that first breath. Yeah. Right? So like you so like you, say, you strip it down, it can kind of go back to that very first breath of the air. So to segue into that, how do you define breath work?
1: Um, for me, breath work is something that I do all the time.
0: <laughs> <Okay>. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, you asked me how I yeah, divide yeah. it. Breath work is something I do all the time. So mm. I don't even like there's nothing I do all the time, but I do breath work all the time. Oh. So in a way it's kind of strange to say it, but like I'm technically working all the time. Mm. Right? Yeah. And so That's like true. but I love work. I love my breath work. I yeah. love it gives me joy to do my breath work. And so it's just that awareness that For me, breathwork is fun. For me, breathwork is discipline. For me, breathwork makes me who I am. For me, breathwork ties everything together. It makes me aware of the present moment. It makes me so happy and grateful for everything that I have. And yeah, breathwork is is, is literally what I do all the time.
0: Yeah. So now getting into the work that you do, how did you get introduced into that world?
1: Um, yeah, so I would say, um, I've, even though I've been teaching um, for the last couple of years, I've probably been in the realm of breathwork since I was four. So I grew up playing tennis, and I got pretty deep into tennis. You know, I paid it for pretty much 12 to 13 years of my life, uh, starting at the age of four. And, you know, through... Tennis, you know, of course, you have to be tied in any sport for that matter. Breath is such a huge component of it. Mm -hmm. So starting from tennis and then kind of going into endurance sport and going into long distance running and Ironmans. And, you know, I would say the transition was when I started mountain climbing and then I had to counter the cold. Mm. And for me, you know, I used to I used to blame my aversion to cold With the fact that I was born in the Middle East, Mm because I would say, you know, I'm genetically from my DNA based, you know, like I would go all the way to my genetics and explain to people this is why I couldn't stand the cold. (laughs) So, (laughs) so that was really um, one of the segues for me to get into the Wim Hof method specifically, because obviously in the Wim Hof method you have breath work and then you have the cold, and so the breath work part of it was easy for me because I knew breath was so important by then already primarily because of my sporting life but the cold was a part that i just could not do anything about and so i would say the wim hof method was the first like you know instruction based like i kind of got in it was really more for the cold not really the breath right which is the ironic part like now looking into like (laughs) how crazy my entire journey got you know but like the cold aspect of it i think the cold broke barriers down in my mind mm. in order for me to grow in my breathwork right so yeah. it was like the cold made me more open to what breathwork can do for me in my life mm. and i think that's why i really i look at the cold as such a strong force in our life that we can we all have the um ac- we all have access to you know mm. whether it's even taking a cold shower at home or, you know, getting some getting a bunch of ice from CBS and putting it into your bathtub. Like mm-hmm. it's so easy to get that um, you know, for those who are kind of living in Houston or Texas, yeah. not like in Denver or, you know, Massachusetts, yeah. or if you go up there, yeah. like it's a lot easier. But for the warmer states and the warmer countries, you know, even in those countries it's possible. Mm-hmm. Right? So I would say the the ice brought really the power of the breath to the forefront. But my, I'm not going to lie, like the ice Mm -hmm. is so powerful, if not as powerful, maybe even more powerful than Mm -hmm. the breath, right? Because I think the breath work is what I look at. Like when I say I do it all the time, Mm -hmm. that's the power behind the breath work. But the ice for me was paradigm shifting, Mm -hmm. right? Like breath work takes you step by step and ice is like just massively taking the axe and just chopping off those parts of you that you don't want any longer right so it's the combination of the two so yeah it was with the wim hof method and then i got deeper into it and then suddenly everything started falling into place because my background i'm actually so um educationally i'm an aerospace engineer and now i still yeah i still work in oil and gas so you know like i still have that side of my brain that needs to be activated you know (laughs) yeah yeah but, like, the deeper I got into the method, the more things just started falling into place. I started understanding the aspects of the brain, the aspects of the heart, how everything's connected, you know. And so, like, that full understanding helped me just go deeper into not just Wim Hof Method and Buteyko Method, but, like, really looking into athletic performance enhancement and then kind of going into this whole the spiritual arena as well and, like, mm-hmm. going taking it into meditation. Like, it just... Kind of like cracked open all of these other areas of my life and like my students' lives as well, right?
0: Since you do, you're an engineer as well. Yeah. How do you bridge that gap <laughs> between that the engineering mind and then the more spiritual side of things? Like, what was that journey to, to not keep them at both ends but keep yeah. be harmonious with it? How did you? come to do that
1: i think it was um the the truth is it was a very arduous journey for me Mm. um because i think i struggled with accepting the spiritual side of myself Mm. right because i grew up in an environment where you know i wanted to prove a point like i wanted to show that i was smart i wanted to show that you know women could do a lot more and i felt like i was constantly being told that you know i i couldn't or i Shouldn't or you know it wasn't up it wasn't up for me it was up for others to decide who what I would be you know mm-hmm. so it was a journey for me mm-hmm. itself right even mm-hmm. without the outside world for me to get to a place where I was more accepting of the fact that I could still be intelligent mm-hmm. if I was spiritual mm-hmm, <laughs> right yeah. and it's a really strange thing to say I can't believe I'm saying this <laughs> in pop pu- for public use but. It, that's the truth, and I want to be yeah. honest about it yeah. because, like, I see people struggle all the time, and I want to just go up to them and tell them, like, you know, don't look at it as a struggle. It's actually a part of your process, you yeah. know, because it was a part of my process, and I think people are getting more and more in that in that zone faster and faster. Yeah. But when I was going through it, I was completely alone. I'll never forget. I was one thing that a friend of mine actually brought up, and it happened when I was in Brazil, and I was sitting with him. And I was trying to explain to him how we were going to meet a group of friends that didn't know about my spiritual aspects. And like I wanted him to be aware that, you know, this was a very engineering group and, you know, the conversation needed to be different. And he just looked at me and he said, Shereen, what difference does it make? What difference does it make where the conversation goes, you know? And at the time, I remember looking at him thinking, you don't get it, man. Like they don't know that part of me. Like I don't want them to know a part of me. Right. But it stuck with me. It stuck with me. And I was 24 at the time when this happened, right? And so, like, yeah, it's more than a decade ago. But, like, even now, I still remember that moment because that moment was the moment when I realized, why? Why is it that I'm having to separate my lives? Mm -hmm. Why is it that I'm not able to talk openly about the things I like? And, yeah, of course, it always boils down to the same thing. I feel I'm scared that they won't accept it. Mm -hmm. I'm scared that they'll walk out on me. I'm scared that... I'm not gonna be that cool friend that they have, right? Mm. And it's so weird because today I think that's what makes me cool, right?
0: Mm-hmm, yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> right? Yeah.
1: It's like I mean I'm this really strange, weird engineering <laughs> hippie girl that goes to church and follows Christ now. Like yeah. it's just so random, you know. And it's like there's like nothing, there's nothing fixed about anything that I'm doing because I'm constantly like just moving with the flow of what is going on in my heart and in my mind. Mm-hmm. And so, like, what didn't make sense to me 10 years ago is I'm in a completely different place today.
0: Yeah, Yeah, because I feel like people like to keep them at two separate ends and yeah. like you have the people that are like where's the facts where's the science where's this and yeah. that you know but i don't feel like people experience the world that way all the time so <laughs> why would you always want to bring bring it to science i totally understand yeah. uh, but i tend to always take the other side when i'm talking to one group and then the other group because there's value <laughs> in both right yeah and uh and and right now i just seeing how things are right currently there is that conversation happening where like people want fact and science and 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 then there's these there's this emergence of uh of spirituality or like uh eastern kind of modalities making their way more into society and people are more open to those types of things so there is this mixture happening
1: now yeah you know it's funny you say that because i believe i learned more about the east when i lived in the west mm. and i learned more about the west when i lived in the east uh-huh. and so I, could, I i find that really interesting because uh-huh. Um, Yeah, I mean, there is definitely a blow up of yoga here, you know, and a lot of the spiritual gurus from India actually came to the U.S. and created centers here, you know, Paramahamsa Mm -hmm. Yogananda, Sadhguru has one in Tennessee, like um, Krishnamurti, like all of Mm -hmm. these guys came and um, there are many centers in California, but, you know, you go to the east. And it's very Western. Mm. I don't think most people know that. Like some of the wildest parties I've been to are in Mumbai, you know? Wow. Yeah, or in like Kuala Lumpur, you know. And it's like it's just so funny. Like over there there's partying all night, all the way from, you know, starting at nine or ten, all the way till six in the morning. And like I came here and there's like two o'clock, everything's closed. I'm like, (laughs) What? You know? So it was it was so interesting to me how I felt like I led what we consider Western life in Mm -hmm. the East, and I'm leading an Eastern life in the West, you know. But I will say that I think there is such a strength in unifying Mm -hmm. the West and the East. Yes. And how I look at that is, yes, I do admit that in the East, it's very hard for me to explain this um, through words, but I will try. There is a sense of devotion that is present, right? And I'm not sure if it comes culturally or, you know, like, you know, looking up to my elders or, Mm. you know, being very, very cultural, traditional, like all of these things that I have definitely comes from the East, right? Like Mm. having a teacher, loving the teacher with all of my heart, Mm. right? That's a very Eastern trait, right? You come to the West, though, you know, it's like here, it's all about, you know, who you know, what you know, how much you make. Mm. Um, Like I still remember the first time somebody I was showing something to somebody and they told me, you know, you could make money if you taught that. Right. And like Mm -hmm. I just like my brain never even went there. I was like, what? why would I? (laughs) I'm an engineer. Like, why would I do anything else? You know, but it's like you come here and it's that mentality of like, how can I what can I do to optimize what I have? The hustle. Yeah. And. Is that bad? No, not at all. It's great because that's what creates creativity, really, right? Like back at home, it was like, this is tradition, keep going, you know, blah, blah, blah. And like, by the way, that's not the case anymore back home as well. Like you've got people starting new companies. And so it's beautiful Mm -hmm. to see that transition. Like in my lifetime, I've seen people leave India, come to the US, get educated and go back to India, which was something that never happened 30 or 40 years ago. Wow. People just left India and never went back again, right? Yeah. So it's that recognition that people are realizing, I don't need to be in the US to get money. You know, mm-hmm. I can get money no matter where I am. Yeah. As long as I have a good idea and I know how to market myself, everything's global now. Yeah. It's the globalization thing has gotten so great, right? Yeah. So so yeah, so I I believe that that mixture of the East and the West is what makes me who I am Yeah. because I love the fact that I have a lot of tradition I have like even I mean I have two or three teachers in my life right now and I love them with all my heart you know Mm -hmm. and I look up to them and they could tell me Sharon, go sit in that corner for one hour and I'll do it because I Mm -hmm. love them so much you know and they look at me and one of my teachers is American and you know he always looks at me and he's like no, no, like you're doing these things because you know I'm making sense. And I'm like, no, I'm doing it because I love you, period. Mm -hmm. And I know he doesn't get it because I'm from an Eastern background, right? But if you go back home, it's not weird to say that, right? But like Mm -hmm. here, it's more like, no, what I'm saying makes sense. And so as a result, you know, do what I'm doing because it makes sense. Now, I don't know how to put this in the in the most political way <laughs> it's okay but, but the most amazing things in the life in your life almost always never make sense mm-hmm. you know like a mother having yeah. multiple babies after having a terrible first pregnancy mm-hmm. right like how do you explain that after she goes through so much pain she yeah. wants to have another child yeah. right yeah. or like a person having their heart completely broken and wanting to give it another shot mm-hmm. and wanting to go into another relationship yeah. right none of these things make sense yeah Right.
0: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is so true. Oh, yeah. You, you make you make it make sense when you look back, but when it's happening, it really, like you said, it yeah. just doesn't make sense. But you you go with kind of your gut, I guess. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people think that maybe it's not good, but. I don't know. I don't know. I like to
1: well, it's it's your it's what I call the mind body alignment, right? Mm-hmm. So like when you do breath work, you are bringing about your mind body alignment. And how I explain it is, it's like you have two children, right? You have your mind and you have your body, mm-hmm. and you want your children to be loving and nice to each other. And when they're loving and nice to each other, they help. They're serving you. When they're not loving and nice to each other, then they're not serving you anymore, and they're just constantly fighting with each other, mm-hmm. and the likelihood is high that you're not gonna be very happy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you're either constantly wanting the people you shouldn't be with, or you should—you are wanting to get into investments that your body is basically saying don't do. Mm-hmm. Like there's this constant battle that happens within your mind and your body because of what you said, like the gut feeling, yeah. right? when you start doing breath work or like any practice that requires to bring about mind-body alignment, then you really understand what it feels to truly tap into the intelligence of both the mind and the body. And then it's like you're a superhuman. You're not only going off of the intelligence of your mind anymore, which is what we as a society runs off of. But the intelligence of the body, you walk into a situation, you just know what you have to do. Like I always say this to people, CEOs of large companies, there's no way they have all the information before they have to go with something. Yeah. They better have good mind body relationship, yes. right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Right. I have some clients where like they're in those type of situations yeah. and when they're in the gym, I see like a different side of them that makes me sort of like ask them like how come in, like in a courtroom, you can really kind of have a presence there. And then here you have to deadlifting, it's kind of freaking you out a little bit. That's why I love what I do with training and even massage. It gives that awareness for people to be like the characteristics you use in your career, in your life, with your family, with your friends, with your loved ones. It's it's the same when, you're, when it's you and your body and yeah. you're putting your body through different adaptations in the gym. And so the same kind of hoops you go through to try to get through that. You can do that here in the gym, right? Or in the massage or like notice. It's all about awareness and and, and being present in that moment. And back to the breath, that kind of anchors everyone.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I think breath work is so basic. Yeah. Because like I said, you do it all the time. Yeah. And so you really, when you start tapping into your breath, you can essentially tap into any meeting, any relationship, any situation whether you're on a basketball court, or whether you're on the football field, or whether you're in a church, or whether you're in, this, in a CEO's office. Mm-hmm. It's like by tapping into your breathwork, you can immediately change who you are in that moment. And so I call that emotional mastery, right? Oh. Because you're so tied in, you're so plugged in into that moment, you can be exactly what you need to be for 100% optimal performance.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I remember uh, during the workshop that I took with you, well, you described how you teach differently, every, one, every workshop you do. Yeah, and then, this one is yeah, very right? different too. <laughs> and then I remember exactly you said that. I was like That stuck out with me whenever you said that, and I love that though. And and then the other thing was it's different also because of different parts of the world. And yeah. how different parts of the world require a different type of, yeah. uh, of awareness and, I guess, uh, mindfulness yeah. based on cultural customs and society right can you explain a little bit on that oh
1: for sure so i said the same line today as well because like you know it's funny almost always people ask me can you send me the agenda and i'm always (laughs) like there's no agenda (laughs) like i always make the agenda as i go and i never have a problem filling up the time right so it's Mm -hmm. like you never have to worry about you know you give me how much ever time you want me to teach and i will teach for that amount of time right Mm -hmm. but i do realize i'm very aware that most people don't teach this way, yeah. right? Most people have a very clear, I'll be teaching them this hour to this hour, this is the syllabus, this is exactly what we're going over. And people come in fully knowing what they have come to grasp, yeah. you know? And in my case, I'm like, I don't know what's gonna come out today. Yeah. It completely depends on you because everyone's different yeah. and every class is different, right? So yeah. depending on the questions you ask, depending on what you're looking for, and I don't want to feed meat to a horse and hay mm-hmm. hey to a lion. Yeah. Right, I don't. I don't want to do that. I want to definitely give you what you're looking for. Yeah. So none of my classes, like it was funny because Andy's come from my workshops. Like this is his fourth one, mm-hmm. and he's just like every single time, Shereen, it's like you blow me away. Like every <laughs> single time, it's like something new. You yeah. know, and it's like I just I always come thinking I'm coming to revise, and then I'm like, well, wow, I just this is a totally new workshop.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you do that? Because I I would get like. Anxiety, like, oh, I need to think of something (laughs) else, or like, you know, or just diving in. And I uh, I saw on your Instagram that you guys did like cliff divings on Hawaii. Yeah. I I think Hawaii Hawaii, was Um, it. I mean, you're basically doing that every time you start a workshop. You're just diving into whatever's going to happen that day.
1: Yes. Wow, I love that you said that because that's absolutely right. Like, that was literally what I told people as well. Like, that's how I look at my life. I don't ever want to get comfortable, ever. And my Mm -hmm. workshops are a big part of my life. And so I never ever want to go into a workshop prepared because Mm -hmm. that's not how I want to live my life, you know? And so is that easy? Of course not. I'm in the spotlight Mm -hmm. and I have to perform. And it's that what I'm going to say might be something so basic, but it's the confidence I have in myself, right? And Oof. that comes with practice. Yeah. By putting myself in situations where I trumpet again and again and again, what I am doing is building confidence in myself that no matter what the situation is, I will always show up and I know I will give it my 150% because that's what I've been doing all my life. Yeah. And so that's what I'm doing every single time I put myself in a situation like this is I'm building confidence in my life. And is this, does that mean that I'm perfect every single time? No. But I can always try for it.
0: Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) That's good. Good. Being confident in yourself. That's a very hard thing for people to do. Yeah. Uh, But I think I've done this a lot with some friends where we're talking and like sharing things. And I noticed that it's hard for us to realize how much we've been through until someone like kind of reminds you or nudges you a little bit like, did you know that you did all these things? You know, do you remember you you went through this and you're here today and, and you've made it through whatever you went through? And it's yeah. it, every time I say that, people like are surprised that like, oh yeah, but that's their life. Like, they, I, how did you forget? But I think because we're so constant in like what's the, our anxieties of the future, True. it's hard to forget that we have we've been having that confidence or or yeah. that, that positivity with us. But it's just uh, it's just being able to look back and be like, oh yeah, I did do that, and I'm still here. You
1: know, it, so I love the point that you're making here because I think. A lot of the things I do in my life have absolutely no thought behind it. Mm-hmm. And because I've been doing it for so long, I'm just disciplined about it, that when the situation occurs, I don't ever have to think about the fact that I have confidence in myself. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like, like I am. You yeah. know, there is no, yeah. yeah, there is no, like, I need to be. I, I have to do. Like, I am. Mm-hmm. And so because you're constantly doing it again and again and again. And this is why in my workshops, I'm so particular about people doing the work over and over and over because I think we're so stuck with the whole thing of this makes sense. I got to do this. I should be doing this. And all I do, all I tell them is stop thinking and just do the work. Just do the work every day. Mm -hmm. And whether you realize it or not, whether you want to or not, it just becomes a part of your nervous system that it just becomes who you are, right? So like, I think any athlete, though, gets that concept, right? Almost all athletes get this concept, primarily because if you, like, as a tennis player, I would hit the same forehand about 80 to 90 to 100 times again and again and again and then come back the next day and do it again and again and again and it's like what we're doing is when that ball hits that part of the court during a match my body doesn't even have to think it yeah. just knows what to do yeah right so there's,
0: there's um so I'm, I'm i'm going back to school to do health psychology and when people hear that they think of like the athlete and a lot of people kind of Compare themselves to an athlete, right? But um, <clears throat> I, every time we have conversations like that with people, I try to remind them like, don't don't compare yourself to the athlete but rather get the process that it takes for them to do those things and apply it to what you want to do. Yeah. And uh, and because a lot of our research sort of is based off athletes, and so a lot of people think that they have to do what they do. Mm-hmm. And, and so-and-so did this, right, or Tom Brady or all these different That's athletes do that. great point, yeah. And I was like, just take the process and the mental kind of, afforded uh, to that they're trying to aspire to, to be every time they're they're performing or even just practicing. yeah um, and and focus more on that. so you don't idolize the athlete, but you idolize the pro the process're not even idolized but you just you embrace it.
1: Correct, right? correct. And yeah, wow. so I actually said this line in my workshop today, yeah. which is so wow. interesting. So I told everybody in the workshop today that when you leave the workshop, I don't really care if you liked me or not. Right? I don't want you to associate this method with me. I want you to associate this method with you. I want yeah. you to look at yourself as a person who is now a beacon of light that is going to spread the Wim Hof Method, not through words, but by your actions. Ah, right? That's and the only way you can do that is by being an epitome of what breathwork brings about in your life, which is kindness, mm-hmm. you know, patience, yeah. generosity. Service to others when you start getting tied into your breath work, you just start noticing how you behave. Mm-hmm. You know, you were mean to this person, it's okay if you were mean, but having the ability to recognize that you were mean to somebody is also mm-hmm. just as important, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, like, breath work kind of brings you into that state of awareness, and why it is so powerful is because it's always at your disposal, mm-hmm. always,
0: yeah. That's true. What was your um, what was your first experience like? Can you kind of bring us back to that? Do you remember first experience of, of wim Hof in the ice?
1: Um, actually, my first experience was very boring. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah, okay. It was very, very. So, like, it's maybe it's a good thing that I'm talking about this because I think a lot of people need to realize that whatever I've become and whoever I am is completely based off of discipline, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just coming back and doing the thing every single day. Um, but I remember my first, uh, like, s- the the first experience thinking, what's the big deal about this thing? That was my first, yeah. right? <laughs> and then, like, I was thinking, like, I was looking at everybody, and everybody else was talking about this incredible experience they had. I didn't feel anything. And I kept thinking, did I do this wrong? Like, you know, have I missed something? And, you know, I just, I, I don't know. Like, I just felt like I missed I missed something in the workshop, right? Because like everybody else was just, oh, this is the best thing since bread. And I remember the next day, I went to play tennis with a friend of mine and I only played with him. So it was like one day in a week, I would meet up with him and I was playing tennis with him and he asked me, so you've been training aside from playing with me? And I'm like, no. And he's like, no, it's quite obvious. Like you're playing differently. And I Mm. said, what do you mean? And he's like, you're just playing differently, Shane. You're playing a lot better. Yeah. And so like I I didn't even notice it. That's right? And I was like, really? And so I went back and then I started noticing I was a lot faster. My timing had changed. I was hitting the ball on the you know, we have to hit the ball like on the top, you know. And so I was like, Wow, I'm not I'm not delaying my my like nothing. Every the timing was just mm. perfect. And so like it got me thinking, and I was thinking, I didn't do anything different. The only thing I did was this method. Yeah. So I decided to experiment a little. I went out and ran, and I hadn't run in ages. Mm-hmm. And I shaved 10 seconds off a mile. Like I hadn't run in a long time, and I ran faster. And then I went to the gym, and I hadn't, you know, I was swinging like 55, ke- 55 pound kettlebells or whatever. I just immediately picked up like a 95 or 100 pound and I started swinging it. And I, I, I just knew I was like, there's something about this method that I didn't learn in that workshop, and it's its I'm doing things that I would never have done you know and i couldn't I couldn't believe like the shift in the performance that I had, so I mean I literally went on, and the my mind how it went was I need to go to the source, I need to go to the source because. The part that actually the reason I went into the method was because of Wims E. coli endotoxin experiment. You know, I don't know if you're aware. He he injected E. coli endotoxin and didn't fall sick, and then he got 12 random people to do the same thing. You know, Mm -hmm. that blew my mind because my dad had E. coli, so I was very aware of what E. coli can do to you. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that this man, not only did he inject E. coli into himself, he got 12 others to do it (laughs) too. So like in my head, I was thinking. I just did this method, I felt nothing. I've come out, the next day I'm like superhuman in, in any sport I'm playing, and I immediately went on, and I like literally started checking every day till his Spain uh, workshop opened up, mm-hmm. and I immediately registered as soon as it happened, and so I went to Spain that year, which back then I'm so grateful that the groups were still small, mm-hmm. so I got to spend you know time with Wim, you know, and, I mean, I knew when I met him, and that's where we're going back to the feeling yeah. over the understanding. Yes, It didn't matter to me what Wim said. It wasn't about what Wim said. It was the energy exuded. Mm-hmm. And that moment I knew. I was like, this man is real. Like, he's not... None of this is a fake thing. Like, he's real. I can feel it. And so I'm grateful that I was... By then already, I had tapped in into that side of myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he also... Kind of called me, you know, which the name of my studio is Sudaprem Studio. The reason is because Wim calls me Sudaprem. Sudaprem means I pure know. love. Okay. And so when I met him, he looked at me and he said, You're Sudaprem, you know. So That's nobody cool. else understood what the word meant, but I did. And yeah. so that was kind of the beginning of me looking to him as a teacher. You know, I kind of recognized this is a man I want to learn under. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just about the method. I just, I, I know that there's a lot behind the method, but that the focus on, he has tapped into something that's a lot larger than just a sports enhancement tool.
0: Yeah, well, how do you uh, differentiate a teacher from a mentor or, or all the different types <laughs> of things? Great
1: question. you guys asking like amazing <laughs> questions.
0: I, uh, I, I've always been like this. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know. <laughs> well,
1: I'm glad you do a podcast. This is great. So yes, I actually think that there's a, there are differences between master's. Mm-hmm. um teachers and instructors and of course you can talk about mentors as well but i'll yeah. i'll kind of talk about like all most of the time a master is a teacher but not all teachers are masters and i think mm. that's an easy one right yeah. like um, like wim's a master right mm. he's not yeah. yeah he's not just a teacher he's a master yes, he's right mastered that. yeah he's mastered what he's teaching yeah. and i would say teachers are are people who obviously understand But they are also really, um, they see something in a student that a student can't see in themselves. Mm. Okay, so a teacher is a person that makes you the best version of yourself. So it's not information that I'm metting out to you. It is me sitting and looking at you and saying, this is what I'm teaching you, and then taking your practice to the next level and showing you how you can be something you're not today. And that's what Wim was for me too. Like I became an instructor because of him. Mm. So like, after spending some time with him, Wim asked me, so when are you gonna start teaching? And I looked at him and I said, Wim, you got it wrong, I'm not a teacher, I'm an engineer. And he said, no, you are a teacher, you just don't know it yet, Mm, right? So he saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself. right? And then an instructor is a person who walks in and there is a set agenda that they're teaching, you know. Mm, okay. So, like, like for example, I'm actually a Wim Hof Method instructor. I'm not a Wim Hof Method teacher, mm, right? Okay. So, so, I have, like, it's very clear, like, in my fundamental course, this is what I'm supposed to teach. And then in my uh, advanced course, this is what I'm supposed to teach. Uh-huh. But then you can always be a teacher. I see. You see what I'm saying? Like you can be an instructor because you're certified in a course, but then you take that and then you are able to connect with your students to a level in which you enhance their journey. Yeah, because instructors come in for a sole purpose, and that is to teach you something. And after that, it's you. You move on. So you can come back to any other instructor, and an instructor all teach exactly the same curriculum. Correct. Yeah. Right. So the, the curriculum is similar, and you can go. To person A, person B, person C, it's the same curriculum. You're probably going to learn the things that you can learn in person A's class, or person B's class and person C's class. Mm-hmm. But when you go into the teaching aspect of it, that's when, you know, you start like, I like his style. I like her style. I feel like when they teach me something, I'm able to grasp it better. Right. Yeah. So that's when you're making that transition towards teacher. This is, by the way, this is my humble uh, opinion on
0: yeah, it. <laughs> no, yeah it's great. I have I, not <laughs> i I'm like thinking about it like that does yeah I like that. Yeah. It makes sense. No, yeah I have
1: not read any books on this. <laughs> I've not read heard any podcasts on this. This is my own because I I myself have gone through a journey of asking yeah. myself, you know, who yeah. am I? What yeah. am I? Am I a teacher? Yeah. Am I an instructor? You know, what what exactly am I doing? Yeah. You know, and so those are one of the reasons why I had to like break it down in my own head, yeah. you know.
0: I think it's important to do that, though, with like everyone for themselves on how you break down those types. How do you define that for yourself? So you're able to like kind of go through it, break it apart as simple as it is. Right. The basic things, it's it can lead you to some very deep exploration of self. Correct. So that's why I always like to stay with the the basics. And And it helps you. It
1: also helps you as a student to know what you're looking for as well. Mm, Right. So, yeah, because now that I know who I am I know the kind of teacher or master I'm looking Um, for, right? Because if I'm, I know the difference between am I trying to learn something to better a practice of mine, or am I trying to get deeper into something, or am I trying to attain mastery? Mm -hmm. And so, like recognizing where I am in my own process of growth, it makes me reach out to different kind of teachers
0: yeah that's true yeah yeah um can you explain a little bit on the physiological aspects of breath
1: yeah and like sure. especially
0: connected to that experiment that Wim did yeah like that's pretty cool
1: yeah so um so i would say well we can just talk about the Wim Hof method because yeah. the breath work per se i would say that um it really accesses the nervous system that's the number one thing most breathwork practices are doing is most people look at breathwork as a parasympathetic activity, which is the activity that leads to relaxation, your rest or digest, feed or breathe in your nervous system, right? And what I love about the Wim Hof Method is that it is actually a combination of both activation of the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. Because for a, uh, for a human being to be like a healthy human, healthy, happy human being, they should actually have equal activation of their sympathetic and their parasympathetic. And most of us don't have that. Most of us lead life that we consider very stressful, but the reality is we're stressing over things that are not worth stressing about. So it's not that you we are leading stressful lives, it's that you're getting stressed out about things you shouldn't be getting oh, stressed out.
0: Yeah. <laughs> about.
1: Right? Yeah, so it's like yeah, people true. are stressing out about the weather, about yes. traffic, about yeah. an argument in their relationship. And it's yeah. like, these are not things that you should be flaring up on, right? Yeah. Like when your wife or your spouse that's walks true. in into your room, if your blood starts boiling, you've got bigger issues, mm, right? So yeah. like that needs to happen if you see a man trying to kill your child, Mm -hmm. right? Or if you, like that's when that reaction should come, right? Because anger and frustration, these are not, we did not have emotions, let me me rephrase that. Emotions are important, Mm -hmm. right? Because emotions are truly what drives us to act. Mm -hmm. Okay, if you think about it, okay? So if I were to say, oh, anger is a bad emotion, why do we have anger? Mm-hmm. Right. If we truly believe that we are perfect as we are and we were made yeah. in a perfect fashion, then why were we given anger? Yeah. Right. Because yes, anger does make sense if you are in a situation which is unjust, mm-hmm. when you're trying to fight for justice. Then yes, anger is a very qualifiable emotion to have. Mm-hmm. But it's not qualifiable if your significant other is sitting and telling you something that's upsetting them about um, the way you acted with them last night. Mm-hmm. It's not a justifiable emotion, right? Yeah. That sounds like you're just a bad listener and you need to work mm-hmm. on your listening skills, yeah. right? So,
0: <laughs> sorry, <I'm laughs> just being very honest. Okay, no, you're so, right, though. That is true. That is so true. what
1: we're really struggling with is a incorrect calibration of emotional usage. That's what's happening in our society right now. It's not that we need to be less angry or any of those things. It needs to be, I need to be angry when the time's right to be angry, right? And so breath work helps with recalibration of your stress gauge in your Mm -hmm. body, right? So what that means is, and like I said, most of us, because we are constantly in the sympathetic zone, which we consider fight or flight, we're always thinking, oh, I need to do relaxing breath methods. I need to do relaxing breath methods. And I'm like, no, you need to actually work on your sympathetic side, too, because your sympathetic side is getting activated way too easily. Yeah. So by doing stuff like the Wim Hof method, by going into ice baths, what you're doing is recalibrating the stress gauge within your brain to only truly feel the strong emotions when something strong is happening. So that's I would say like that. Is probably one of the most fundamental, like the nervous system activation, okay, which immediately makes an impact on your emotions, yes. which again makes an immediate impact on your level of happiness. Yeah. Right. Yes. The second one would be talking about happiness, right? Like dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. Like doing the Wim Hof method gives you a shot. I call it a dose of happiness every single time you do it. Right. Mm. You have a two hundred percent, I believe it's two hundred percent increase in norepinephrine in your blood, and it's like, you look at anybody. I don't know if you have watched people come out of an ice bath. Like, Mm -hmm. people are just happy. They've got a smile on their face, right? Like even when they're doing breath work, it's like they might go through a lot of emotions, but five minutes after breath work, they just look happy. They're relaxed. They're like more grounded, more engaged. You know? Yeah, and so like. (laughs) You just watch people after breath or ice, bats, and it's like happiness just exuding out of them, right? They, they can't even help it sometimes. They're just kind of like, I can't help it. I feel great, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we've talked about the nervous system. We've talked about levels of happiness. Then you start talking about the circulatory system, right? Yeah. So like in your circulatory system, your cells in your heart, like your breath rate makes a direct impact on your heart rate, right? Like think about it, when you're resting, you want your heart rate to be low. When you're running, your heart rate will be high. If you think about your breath rate, chances are your breath rate is also doing exactly the same thing. So if you tap into your breath rate, you're actually making an impact on your heart rate as well. And through the change of the ratio of oxygen to carbon dioxide in the body, you're actually changing the way the cells diffuse and actually in um, absorb oxygen into it as well. Same thing with the ice. When you get into the ice, you have constriction and dilation, right? And it's the same mechanism where the cells are working. They're becoming stronger. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, you're just becoming a more resilient human being on the inside, not just on the outside, right? Because these practices, I consider them preventative practices, right? What does that mean? It's like, imagine you are in the army or the navy, you don't start training the day we call war. You've mm-hmm. been training so that when the day of war is called, you are ready. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Wim Hof Method or most of the breathwork practices are doing. Is It's getting you ready for the day when you will be called to be in a zone that is outside of your comfort zone. That's why it's so important to do the work every day. I mean, how many people called me up after they got COVID and they said, "Sure, can you teach me the Wim Hof method? And I was like, sure, I can teach you the Wim Hof method, mm-hmm. but you should have been doing the work every day so that when you did get it, you know, the impact would probably have, there would have been some difference, right? Because you're constantly working on your immune system as well. So it's that change in your perspective, these methods, we're doing it so that we are preparing ourselves for that rainy day right
0: god that's so good <laughs> wow yeah oh that got me a little bit <laughs> wow yeah uh, that's sometimes you have some of these like lines or like moments and I, it's, I remember from the workshop and I was like ah, that sticks with me <laughs> that's Thank you. that's great yeah no it's uh before I forget um as you were speaking I I'm sorry to bring this back again to like sort of Uh, society's way of of trying to have proof of things. Mm. A lot of these things can sometimes become very abstract. It's something that I think research should try to discover more ways in trying to present that information. Because I feel like the changes that that you notice, right? Like when you speak about when you first started and, and that you got better at tennis you can look back and be like that practice is what did it right yeah if you were to like measure those things there's a an emotional component to it that contributes majorly to like what is happening inside your body physiologically right and i i wish there's like more studies that combine those two things because again it's like language yeah it's it's science is saying one thing and then the uh, human experience is saying another, mm. but it's just said in a different way, right? Yeah. And, and, and trying to merge those two and getting people who are like so analytical and want those types of things. <laughs> the, the CEOs are like, the, the I mean, you're an engineer. Even the engineers having that yeah. mindset of like, yeah, but what is, yeah. what's the research on that?
1: I've been humbled that? many times. I, that's really yeah. the truth. I've yeah. been humbled many times. And I, I think um, I, I pray for everyone to open their eyes before they get to that point where they get humbled too. Because when you get humbled, it's not a great feeling, Mm. you know? Um, And so that's really the truth. Um, I've been on that path of mind, 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 and yeah, Yeah. it didn't work out. It didn't work out just going off of my mind. And for the most important thing, I always ask people, do you think happiness is a feeling or a thought? And most people can't answer it. And I ask them again, do you think happy or do you feel happy? And immediately it's like, oh yeah, I feel happy. And then, so I ask them again, is it a thought or a feeling? Mm. And then they're like, oh, I guess it's a feeling, right? Mm. So it's like, even that awareness is lacking sometimes, Yeah. right? Yeah, and like, true. realizing, and I, I kind of explain this through the analogy of like, when we board up our windows during the hurricane, yes, we don't want the hurricane to come in, but we're also boarding out the light, when you shut that window off you're preventing things from hitting you from the outside but you're also preventing the light from coming as well and so recognizing that living your entire life only through thought and not through feeling is not a full life it's a very half not even a half sometimes life because happiness is not a thought it's a feeling and if you're not tied in with your feelings it's essentially blocking the light out, just like in that analogy that I had about boring up your windows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's really the... Uh, yeah.
0: And I mean, that can, people can be too tied to their feelings and then it's kind of chaotic there too. So you kind of have to ground yeah, yourself. Yeah, you have yeah.
1: to ground yourself. Yeah. And like I think that most of the people... Yeah, it's great that you brought that up because I was somebody who hated people talking about the emotions, I'm just being honest right yeah. now. Like <laughs> where people would say things like, you know, it just doesn't feel right, you know? And I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like in my head, you know? I'm like, what yeah. do you I feel right? Like, look at the data, yeah. see what the data says, and let's move on, yeah. you know? And so this is where I think it is really important to recognize the difference between feeling and emotional intelligence. Uh, there is a huge difference between, this doesn't feel right, this doesn't feel wrong, Because feelings are fleeting. Feelings come and go, okay? People who make decisions based on feelings will pretty much go up and down a lot in their lives, right? But when you actually are engaged in your emotional intelligence, then you're tapped into your feelings. So like how I explain is like, imagine your feeling is kind of like your uh, hair standing up on the back of your neck, or you feel your heart racing, or your palms become sweaty, right? These are feelings, okay? From there, it can lead to an emotion, it can lead to excitement, it can lead to happiness, it can lead to sadness, it can lead to frustration, it can lead to anger, right? Through breath work, you can actually get into this process of just between the feeling and the emotion, where the feeling when it comes, when I'm really tapped into my breath work, so when I say breathwork for me, remember, it's something that I do all the time. Yes. So I'm so engaged because I'm doing it all the time. I'm so aware of when the feelings pop up, I'm able to immediately tap into it and I immediately am aware, where is it coming from? Is it because a cute guy walked into the, into the, the door? Mm-hmm. Or is it because something is telling me I need to get out of here? Or is it that I don't feel this is the place I need to be in? That comes from data gathering within that split second, right? And so like, when you are so aware of your feelings, you're able to gather data a lot faster. When you gather data a lot faster, you're able to process a lot faster to the fact Mm -hmm. that the more you do this, you're able to get to such a high level of emotional management. Even before the emotion comes out, you get to decide if this emotion makes sense or not. Yeah. Right? And so like, what I'm talking about right now is mastery.
0: Yes. Right? This yeah. is
1: mastery. Yeah. And this is what I am always trying to bring forth to my students. Yeah. Right? Because I'm always like, don't sell yourself short. Mm-hmm. This is the life you can lead. Mm-hmm. Right? So go all the way.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. Like I think most people don't even realize they can even do that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So like when you start going into those zones, then it's very easy. It's like black and white. There is no gray anymore. It's very clear at that point, is that emotion necessary? Not, not necessary, throw it out, yeah. right? And in those moments, that's when you meet people like, like you have, you know, the Mother Teresa's, the Mahatma Gandhi's, yeah. like these people had extreme emotional management. I actually haven't read any books, believe it or not, on Mahatma Gandhi. Mm-hmm. But I mean, of course I know of him. Yeah. But you know, the thing is, they, I, I can kind of say that if you look across people who have achieved very, very big things in their life, there's always been a common denominator. They didn't use violence, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. very, very big things. Like you know, like Mahatma Gandhi was really responsible for freedom. Mm-hmm. With a lot of people fight about that as well. You know, Mother Teresa did things that you know I don't think any other person has done in terms of reaching on such a far outcry yeah. in terms of re- re- reaching out to people mm-hmm. who are so poor and showing that even they had value in their life, right? Yeah. Like these people did things that were kind of outside the zone of what you and I think. I mean, yeah. I'm just being honest, right? Yeah. I'm not putting either of us down. No, yeah. But it's kind of a little outside of that zone. And if you look at them and you watch them, no matter where they're at, what they're doing they seem to have a very stable emotional life. Mm -hmm. Like you watch them on the outside. Inside, oh my God, it must have been crazy, right? Like you see Mother Teresa's letters to her spiritual director. It was very painful. She had this sense of loss all the time. It was just a Mm -hmm. maniac kind of, but on the outside, nobody ever saw it. So she was a woman who was very aware of her internal state. Mm -hmm. And she was so aware of it that she got to decide what her external state should be at any point in time. Yeah. That's called emotional mastery. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that is hard. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> oh, Yeah. There you go. Another one. <laughs> yeah.
1: Because most people, they're always like, oh, I wear my emotions on my sleeve or, you know, like, I. what yeah. you see is what you get. And like, yeah. that's great. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. But if it's not really getting me the results that I'm looking for, like, mm-hmm. I don't want a person who's extremely emotional to work for in my team. Yeah right? Like, I don't want someone in my team to just be on this emotional roller coaster in every meeting. I want somebody to, five minutes after the meeting, come to me and say, hey, there's these things going on in my family right now. I need some time off. Would would it be okay if I got three hours off tomorrow? Great. We had a conversation about it. We can move on, right? Versus you Hugh and cry during the meeting, you know, and then I have to go later to them and ask them, are you okay? Is everything fine? And then they open up and then they tell me, well, I'm going through a divorce, right? Mm -hmm. So like, that's me recognizing, okay, when things are not going well in their life, it comes out to the forefront. And again, I'm not saying these feelings shouldn't be honored. Mm -hmm. There's a time and place for everything, right? As much as you want to be honest, you know, Isaac, I think you're amazing. But for all I know, last night, you probably had a terrible night, mm-hmm. but you were here at 7 o'clock in the morning, and you gave mm-hmm. me an incredible massage. That's a man who knows what he needs to do mm-hmm. in that point in time.
0: Mm-hmm. And just hearing you explain that, it comes down to practice. Yeah, right? it's
1: all discipline. So like yeah.
0: practice is never perfect, but it's, it's, that's what's consistent in everything you've been saying. Correct. Like the it's, mastery it's part of it. It's the, just
1: yeah, yeah, the, the practice. Practice.
0: That's as simple as you can make it yeah. for somebody. And Because I was thinking, I was like, how like what is how would you tell someone where to start and it's just as simple yeah as that. i like
1: the word practice because i think when i first started i used to use to use the word discipline and people i noticed in the us didn't like that word at all like they would always they would say like i hate discipline i hate anything to do with discipline right and so i realized like okay discipline's not the right word mm-hmm. so then i was like thinking routine like what would the what would the different words be to kind of show people that don't think anymore, you don't need to know anything anymore, just get up every day and do the practice every for 10 minutes. And that's when it was like, yeah, I'm just gonna start using the word practice, just practice every day, yeah. you know? Yeah. So
0: I like that, and I've, I've also thought of that, uh, a different word for balance, which is the harmony one. Mm. So not being at ends, but being in sync with harmony. Yeah. I like that as well. I've, I've thought about it, I was like, yeah, I don't wanna have balance in my life, I wanna have harmony in my life. Yes, <laughs> you know what I mean? yes. Um, So uh, talking about um, just within the last year with COVID happening and people starting to think about their own health and what that means to them, uh, breath seems like it could be a good starting point, like you said, to be preventative for future things that could probably happen, right? And it makes you more aware and it has so many qualities to it. A big one that uh, stands out, especially here in the States is stress. Earlier, when I said you've had workshops all over around the world, how you teach here is completely mm. different, right, from how you taught in India. India or somewhere. Yeah. Right. Can you explain a little bit about why that is?
1: Yeah. I guess you answered the question already, you know. Culturally, I think I change too. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so, Interesting. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. I think the way I teach completely depends on how I connect with someone. Mm. And so when I go to different countries, I connect with the people differently versus okay. how I connect. So it's there is no right and wrong. It's just my style changes. And I have to admit that as I'm growing in my practice too, I'm noticing that my style's actually mm-hmm. getting less and less different. Like no matter where I am now, I seem to have the same style, mm. you know? And so like, I think that as well was my own process, you know, that, just I seem to be the same person now, no matter where I, I go, no matter where I am. Yeah. Does it irritate people? Of course it does, you know, but I think we'll always irritate people. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what you do, you're yeah. going to always have naysayers and you're always going to have people who don't like what you do. And I think that's where I'm very grounded in the sense that I'm not doing this. I know it sounds strange to say this. I'm not doing what I do to get people to like me. I'm not. And that's one of the reasons probably why there are certain workshops I've gone to and I've told people straight up, like, if you're not going to do the work every day, you're wasting your time, leave the class right now, Mm -hmm. right? So I think the only way I can do that is because I'm genuinely here for the people who I believe want to make a difference in this world. Those are the people I want to invest my time in. Those are the people I want to invest my energy in. And I think that's also another reason why I'm still doing you know, like I'd have two full-time jobs, right, in a way. And it's not that I've never like thought about doing one fully, but I've never had to make that choice. I've never had to like sit down and wonder, should I give one up to go into another? No, because in my mind, I've been able to balance both. And like I said, I have felt harmony doing both. And I feel like I'm able to bring value to my workplace because of what I teach. Like right now, I am leading a group in my workplace for women in the space of mindfulness and breath work, right? Which I'm so excited to do that, right? It's mm-hmm. like the women in, uh, I don't even know how to say this, but like it's the it's the blue collar and the white collar people that I care a lot about, mm. right? Yeah. Like they're the ones who make up most of our population.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well,
1: where are they going for techniques? Yes. You know? Yeah. And it's like I look at them and I'm like, I think about it and I'm like, these are the people that matter mm-hmm. you know and we are in i feel like we all want to be the millionaires and the billionaires mm-hmm. and i'm like what about the people who gave birth to the people who became millionaires yeah. you know what yeah. kind of lives did they lead mm-hmm. you know obviously they didn't do everything wrong because they ended up getting a child that became a president or a prime minister or uh, or somebody who fought for human rights like mm-hmm you know, their parents were just as important, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so, like, I always think about them. And that's one of the reasons why, like, I love Mother Teresa so much, because she really looked at people that nobody else cared about, mm-hmm. right? She took care of people who were dying, and she got a lot of, um, you know, a lot of people criticized her for wasting so much money on people that didn't have a future. And I'm looking at them thinking, you don't even know if you're gonna be alive tomorrow. You could just step out and get into a car accident, and your life's over tomorrow. You know, and so it's like that awareness that we need to start recognizing that every single human is valuable. You know, feeling like, I feel like I'm always around people who want to constantly be around people who are better than them because they want to get better, you know? And I'm like, well, what about your families? What about the people who you are consider, you know, not so great in your family? Are they not important? (laughs) You
0: know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because uh like even just again I've lived here all my life. So in, in the states it seems like um, to be honest like breath seems like it's like uh something rich people would do, right? Mm. But I've talked to a lot of people in my community that like Hispanic community, they don't even do that stuff. Yeah. They don't know what why would I take time on my day and do yeah. that, right? Yeah. Um, and I feel like just like you said bringing that to those people that are Living their lives have different stressors, right? Because we yeah. talk when we talk about breath, you hear about the CEOs and you and correct.
1: You have, Athletes, uh, yeah, and athletes, like, athletes and professional athletes yeah
0: and uh it's great to bring like awareness to to the subject and, and the practice but it's it's those people that like you said that just are living their life and just trying to get by yeah. with different type of stressors like everyday stressors that
1: correct that have and so by the way it's, i'm amazed you this is a great segue into into what i was going to say about low-income people mm-hmm. right i was amazed at how much medication they're given based on Medicare, and it it broke my heart, right? Like these people suffer from stress or anxiety and they are like on three or four different medications, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, y'all just need to do breath work, you know? But it's like, no, it's it's the rich people who go to private hospitals who have health insurance and they're not like, they're looking at the medicines and they're like, I don't need all of this. And then they go to a breath practitioner, right? Yeah. Well, I say the rich people, but honestly, not all rich people do that either. No, yeah, right? yeah, so, yeah. I right. <laughs> so like I wish at least if all the rich people did it, maybe there would be a, some, kind it, some kind of shit. like based on like, you know, like role modelism, you know, yeah. that is happening. You look at people who are doing it and then you kind of feel like, oh, I got to do it too. But that's not the case either no, yeah. because it requires you to do work. It requires you to be disciplined, right? And so like most of the people who are consistently doing it is primarily people who are actually very sick. So they're tired of taking medications and they're tired of the side effects of the medications that they're taking. Or they're people who are trying to become world-class in something, Mm -hmm. right? whether it's their performance enhancement as a CEO or an athlete. Or, you know, there are very few people in that middle-class zone that recognizes breathwork helps me with sleep, Breathwork helps me with reducing my anxiety. Breathwork helps me with getting rid of all of my autoimmune disorders. Mm -hmm. It helps me get rid of rheumatoid arthritis. Um, Helps me get rid of diabetes. Helps me get rid of cancer. Helps me get rid of like all of these things that most people are like immediately think of doctors. I have a lot of respect for doctors, both my brother and my father are doctors. Um, I believe doctors have a very important role in our society, but their job is just that. To treat the sick, yeah. it's not not necessarily to guide the sick from not getting sick again, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so, like that process comes down to recognizing I need to make healthy choices in my life, mm-hmm. and a huge choice you can make is by being tapped into your breath all the time, right? So yeah, you can do Wim Hof method, you can do Buteyko method, but like when you start looking at breath work as like a method then you're looking at it like you would look at a workout in a gym or a movie you're going to watch. It's something that you need to set time aside for. That's why breath work is so powerful because you don't have to set aside any time for it. You can do it when you're brushing your teeth. You can do it when you're on the potty. You know, like, you basically can do it anytime you want. You can do it when you're driving. You can do it when you're grocery shopping. You can do it when you're walking the dog. You can link it up to any activity you're doing. And so I've been, that's also another thing I've been working on, is trying to get people to stop looking at breathwork as an activity that they're doing and start looking at it as What I'm doing all the time, I'm literally able to tap into my breath any time of the day, and I can get the aspects, the positive aspects of it at any point during the day.
0: Yeah, there's a can you speak a little bit on how breath can equate to control or maybe letting go of control? Favorite topic. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, you're really great. hitting great. on you're really hitting on some of, some of these things I'm like super passionate about. Oh, but like, I love it. I yeah. always feel like nervous about sharing my opinion because I do know I'm very opinionated. You know,
0: oh, it, it's yeah. really good. No, like I I think that's why kind of having the com- a conversation with someone can help you sort of I guess define even more what you've already been doing, right? Yeah. So because you're you're, you're you're going down that path again.
1: Right? Yeah. So, um, one of my lines, which I've said a lot, and I'll say it right now, um, has to do with control. Mm -hmm. And I always say, when you take the breath in, you are in control. But when you let the breath go, you are not in control, Mm -hmm. right? And so, like, it's this association of breath and control. Because we always, most of us, lead our lives believing we are in control, Truly, the only thing we are in control of is our state of mind. We're not in control of our people around us. We're not in control of the weather outside. We're not even control in control of the traffic, right? Mm-hmm. The only thing we can truly be in control of is our state of mind. And this constant remembrance or constant awareness of the fact that even when it comes to my breath, I think I'm in control, but I'm truly not in control because no matter how hard i try i always have to take that breath in and no matter how long i keep that breath in i always have to let it go mm-hmm. right so that was really my my recognition in my own life re- being aware of the process of surrendering right when you start doing practices associated with breath and associated with the ice because trust me when you get into an ice bath if you decide to fight the ice the ice will always win Always. And it's that practice of going into the ice, recognizing the shock that you first receive, and then accepting it. Recognizing I am not in control. I am in control of the fact that I'm truly in the ice. I made the decision to get into the ice. But now that I'm in the ice, I have to surrender control. I have to let go. I have to now accept. It is going to hurt. It is very uncomfortable. But by doing this practice... It is teaching me and just showing me how I can let go of control in situations where I used to think I used to be in control of. Classic example, right? Most people that come to my class, well, I shouldn't say most, a lot of people that come to my classes have issues with their family members, right? They have issues with their parents, they have issues with their siblings, And their parents are, you know, fighting with them or shouting with them or it's very uncomfortable. And they always kind of make these comments about, oh, I got to go home, you know, and it's a mess. And, you know, I just I can't be around my parents for more than three days, you know. And I always ask them, have you ever tried practicing breath work around your family? Like when they're telling you something and you can feel like your heart rate's going up, like immediately changing the way you breathe and like elongating the exhales and like and they're looking at me like why would I do that, right? And I'm like, if you did that, you might be very surprised at how the conversation went. (laughs) (laughs) So like, to give you an example, right? Um, You know, a a mother or a father is constantly fighting or shouting at a child because they want the best for the child, Mm -hmm. right? When you breathe and when you're in touch with your breath, you're aware that this is the way they are showing you that they love you. This is how they're expressing to you that they love you, right? Whereas most people just get annoyed and just look at them and be like, just enough. I've had enough. At that point in time, you're trying to control the situation, right? You're trying to get the outcome that you want, but it never goes the way you want, right? I mean, I I think we can all agree that the moment you start fighting back, it never goes in the direction of what you're truly wanting, which is acceptance. You're wanting them to tell you they love you, but they are. You just don't understand that language. So Mm -hmm. truly it's your state of mind that's not able to comprehend what love looks like Mm, for them,
0: Yeah.
1: right? So when I breathe.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you're right.
1: (laughs) So when I'm breathing, what's happening is I'm recognizing and I'm being very aware. And like I said, this is emotional mastery. Mm -hmm. I'm recognizing the feelings that are coming up, immediately going into that process, breathing slow, and then taking control of the emotion that I wanna come out in that point in time. Mm -hmm. And that's where I am in control. But of the situation, I am not in control. I cannot control what they say to me, but I can control what I say to them. And so by taking control of what I say to them, what I am then doing is I am breaking the process. Breaking the process Mm -hmm. of what is prevalent in our society, of screaming and shouting at our loved ones. Because that is what we believe is the way we show each other that we care. Because when you don't shout back, the person is thinking they don't care. Yeah. They don't care what I'm trying to say. Why are they not screaming back at me? Mm-hmm. Because for them, screaming is the way that they're showing that they care. Yeah. And so you breaking that process can only happen when you're so tied in to either your breath or you're tied in or you're, you're so grounded at that point that you recognize this is not a process I want to continue. I want to break this process right now. And I am in control of how I react. So it's an action mm-hmm. and a reaction and because I am now in control of my emotion, mm-hmm. I refuse to react in the situation. Yeah. So that is a classic example where even though I am not in control, I exercise control.
0: Mm-hmm. There, is a, um, there is a short story that I really like. I don't know if you've heard it. The title of it is The Things We Talk About When We Talk About Love. Mm-hmm. And it's by Raymond His last name is, like, it's not coming to me right now. I was trying to think of it. But the short story is basically about couples that are having dinner one night. And they start to have a discussion about how the married couples have, you know, met each other. And the ones that have been previously divorced, one of them, the wife, uh, came from an abusive relationship. Mm. And so she, the conversation ends up being about them, too. And how the husband says, I can't believe you thought that was love. And she was like, he loved me the way he knew how. And luckily she got out of that relationship. But her point of view on love... Is kind of a little bit on what you said, not justifying what that person did to her, but she said, like, he was loving me the way he thought. Sure. Right. And it's a very interesting short story uh, to check out because it it makes you have to dive into those types of questions about yourself and what you think love means and why we stay in those types of different situations or just how we accept it, how we give it.
1: Yeah, because, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, like staying in a situation it, it's amazing how, like I was, it's kind of funny, you're covering a lot of the things I covered in the workshop today, which is oh, wow. really, really unusual.
0: <laughs> I wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: really strange. Um, I actually made a comment about how in the US, um, you know, a relationship between a man and a woman is actually, I mean, the divorce rate is so high here mm-hmm. that it is considered a breakable situation, right? Yeah. Um, so like back when, like, I come from a very traditional family where, you know, when you get married to somebody, that's as good as having a child. Like it's not separable. Like you can't get away from Mm -hmm. it, right? So that means if you are in a situation where your husband or your wife are in a place where it's not healthy, what do you do? It would be like abandoning your child. You would never consider that, right? But here you can consider abandoning a husband or a wife. right? And so it's like, I really look at it as there is no such thing as healthy or unhealthy, unless of course you know there are some situations associated with physical abuse and things yeah, like that. Yeah, like yeah. we're not talking about those situations, right? That's really extreme, and I'm not referring to those. But I'm really talking about like not even like verbal abuse or mental abuse. I'm really talking more about situations where um, it comes, it boils down to likes and dislikes. You know, it boils down to liking and disliking a person's human nature. Mm -hmm. Right. And I've noticed that a lot. Like we tend to make judgments on the way a person behaved in a specific um, arena or a specific situation. And yes, I mean, I admit sometimes it's very disheartening. You know, I would put the realm of cheating on someone in that same occasion, you know. And so it's like Mm. it causes a lot of pain. But truly, the pain comes from, yes, the act, but it also comes from the lack of forgiveness, from our end, yeah, right? Yeah. And that ability for me, you cannot love fully if you, you can you do not forgive. You cannot. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people keep telling me, I try, I try to love them again, but I could not. And my first question to them is always, Did you try forgiving them first? Mm-hmm. Did you try forgiving them for what they did? Right? Because yeah. we tend to get into this whole rut of like, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they did that. Yeah. And in my head, I'm like well, maybe you need to start believing things more, right? Like the attitude that you have, which is this could never have happened. I could not believe this happened. That is primarily coming from a person who probably doesn't practice a lot of discipline in their lives. Because if you do have a lot of discipline and practice in your lives, you will realize every day is not the same. Mm -hmm. Every day is different. You'll have good days, you'll have bad days. You'll have high days, you'll have low days. And just doing the practice every single day is a choice that you make. Loving someone is a choice that you make. Forgiving someone is a choice that you make. Mm -hmm. When you start making these choices of doing that breath work every day, of doing that cold shower every day, guess what? You start making those choices easier in other regards too. So it's a very complex, I think we can have like a whole podcast just (laughs) just on this. (laughs) But like really, like when it comes to relationships, it's a lot more complex because I think it's really tied to I, like I said we are doing these practices For those moments yes. When everything <clears throat> breaks apart And then you're just left with nothing yeah. And then from there you have to realize I gotta get up and I gotta keep walking Because yeah. that's what I've been doing Every single day I've been getting up and I've been making the right choices for myself And today too I wake up and I'm going to make the right choice By being happy, healthy and strong In this moment
0: Yeah, I love that during the uh the pandemic lockdown, I was taking some of your online classes and uh, I like how you always start off that way where you, yeah. you you kind of go through a meditative practice first and then kind of lead into the breath work. And you always say, can you repeat that?
1: Uh, we're here to become happy, healthy, and strong. Yeah. Bring about mind-body alignment. Increase yeah. yeah. the alkalinity in your blood.
0: Yes. <laughs> like when you say that, it's so common. And I'm like, I get it.
1: <laughs> it's so funny. When I was in Hawaii, there was a person in the workshop that hadn't met me, but they just had heard my recording, uh-huh. and it was so funny. Like after I did the session live for them, he came to me and he said, "It was amazing to hear you say that live. Yeah. Like I've heard you say that so." <laughs> wow,
0: intense. it's your it's your catchphrase now. It's your catch. Like oh, that's funny. That's cool. I saw recently that you had like a near death experience. I wanted to ask you about that and yeah. how that was and what happened.
1: Oh, wow. So I've had, I think this is unusual. I've had a couple, really? actually, I've had a couple of near death experiences. Oh, and I would say there is one um, across the board, there's like a common denominator in all of my near death experiences. Well, I can definitely say for the last three mm-hmm. is um, this feeling of like going into extreme slow motion, just like, like, I know everything happened in a split second. Cause it was the both of both the last two for sure. No, I'd say the third one as well was a couple of. Um, it was not more than a couple of seconds, but honestly, it felt like a long time. Really? Like everything slowed down, and I remember thinking, "This is it."
0: Uh. <laughs> Now, do you think, like, so are these situations where you're, like, you go like, not that you're thinking about it, but they're like, yeah, this could be, like, a near-death type of thing. No, 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 this is very sudden,
1: very sudden out of nowhere, yeah. Neither of them, like, the last one, I got swept off. Uh And I was very close to a cliff face. Uh And, I mean, I I wasn't expecting to get swept off. So, like, it came from behind me. I was, I actually went down to try and help some people to come up the Mm -hmm. cliff face because the waves were really high. Mm And this wave that swept me off came from above my head. Oof. So it was so massive that I, I I still remember, like, I couldn't even believe how the force of what took me over, right? It was unbelievable. And just like not even five minutes before that, there was another guy that basically kind of tried to get up and he got hit by the wave and he hit the cliff face. But oh. he hit and he completely cut his so he was kind of in the water and that Mm -hmm. happened to him i was next to the cliff face right so like there was no doubt in my head like the wave would basically take me and just hit me against the cliff face and i mean i was i was completely in the water and i was tumbling in the water Mm. under the water Mm. and yeah i just i mean it was like my eyes were open and i saw the face right there in front of my my eyes and all it would have taken was for the current to just smash me because I felt so insignificant in that moment in time, right? Like, I don't, you know, it's so hard for me to explain this, um, how insignificant we are compared to nature. Like, I'm sure, like, everybody gets it, like, especially surfers. You know, I used to surf when I was in Brazil. That was really my first encounter with the power of the ocean, you know? And, like, I feel we get the same thing in the ice as well. But, you know that moment, like I said, it was slow motion, and it was that moment when I felt like, yeah, I, I was, you know, in that moment in life, there was a lot going on. There's still a lot going on, yeah. but I just knew in that moment, like, I'm, I'm ready, I'm ready, mm. you know. Yeah. So, um, in that moment, you know, you say, "This is it, I'm ready," and uh, and then suddenly, the current dropped off. It was mm. crazy. It was like. I had those two thoughts and I was just ready for it to, to take over. And then boom, the car dropped and it was like still. Yeah. And as soon as I felt the stillness, I, I kind of sw- swam to surface and then just immediately tried to get out. So, yeah. yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah. You were ready, but life happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> life happened and said, no, yeah. you have life in you.
1: Yeah. So that was exactly what happened in my previous experience as well. I was on the highway. It was peak traffic and like uh, something came and hit my car from like a rock or something and it burst the tire and my car skid off. And so this was on Hardy Toll, which is like, it was eight o'clock in the morning, it's 7.45, so peak traffic time. Mm. My car went up, skid, you know, there's those things on the side that prevent the car from overturning. It's like you go up on the side and then kind of the car floats and kind of lands upright, uh you know. Um, I can't remember what the name of that shoulder is, but that was what they had, luckily. And so my car was really suspended. I remember like, It was suspended, and even that moment, everything was slow motion because I remember thinking, peak traffic, I'm going to get hit, you know. Mm. And, like, my car landed and just skid across the highway, right? (laughs) Like four lanes, it skid across. And the entire time, I just, I remember thinking, this is it. And I remember thinking, I'm ready, you know. And, um, yeah, and I went all the way to the other side, and I looked up, And I noticed that specific gap. There were cars ahead of me and there were cars behind me, but there were no cars in mm-hmm. that moment when I skid across oh, and like of course my my tire was burst yeah. and I I remember it because I was in shock I was in a state of shock mm-hmm. and I remember telling myself breathe Shireen breathe you know mm-hmm. and so like I immediately like mm-hmm. you know and then I kind of slowed, slowed it down slowed it down and, so, and then I re- like relaxed got my car off on the shoulder I started thinking again started recognizing okay I gotta call someone like then I started going into work mode you know But yeah, that specific moment, I was in extreme shock. Mm,
0: Wow. Yeah, I mean, I've,
1: I've had a couple, so just yeah. <laughs> <I suggest> two. <laughs> that, wow,
0: that's more than me. <laughs> I have, I have not I've almost any.
1: drowned too, so that was another oh, one. Yeah, that that one. was scary. So drowning Oof. was, yeah, that was a very scary, yeah, I just, yeah. A breath
0: worker drowning?
1: Yeah, that was before I got oh, into breath that? work. Oh, okay. But yeah, definitely near-death experience as well. And I was choking and grasping Oof. and just swallowing water. And I thought I was going to die. And then oh. I just let go. I just oh. said, okay, I'm done. You know, I'm done fighting. And when I left That was when The currents went away It was Like it's really crazy If you think about it Like
0: Yeah. Yeah yeah wow but i mean your practice has kind of even before you even practice sort of you're, yeah, pre- you're was, prepared and you're instilled with those tools sure. that you just have to tap into Correct. and you see and like you said just everything that we talked about just today has been consistent always going back to the breath and how that practice has helped you in different aspects of your life
1: yeah and i call it going back to basics because mm. the breath is the basics yeah and kind of what you said when you're born you take your first breath. Yeah. And so for me, breath work is going back to basics. Yeah.
0: What would you leave the, the listener with on, on this concept of breath work and, and what it means?
1: Um, you know, stop looking at breath work as an activity. Breath work is something that we have access to all the time. The moment you become conscious of your breath, you're doing breath work. So starting to recognize how you're breathing is your breath shallow or not? Where are you breathing? Are you breathing in through your nose or through your mouth? These are things that everybody should start becoming aware of. And it is my dream that um, we will start teaching our children these skills when they're in school. Mm, Um, That's good. Yeah, and so they they start, they're able to tap into their breath from a very young age. Because obviously, like you said, yeah, I mean, when I said when I was drowning, I was not into breath. That's not completely true. Mm. Because what I meant was it was before I became an instructor or became a teacher. But i had been utilizing breathwork my entire life, right? Since I was four. So it's that awareness that yes, athletics brought that into my life, but you don't have to be a sports person to tap into your breath. You don't have to be a CEO to tap into your breath. Breathwork is for everybody. And so the more you recognize that breathwork is for you, The quicker you will start your journey on less stress, less anxiety, better sleep, more clarity and focus and determination, recognition of how you are being controlled by your environment, you know. So, yeah, breath work is for everybody and breath work is work that we do all the time. So, it's work that I love. Every time I tap into my breath, I love it.
0: Nice. um, Outside of breath work and just what you do, what what is Shireen like? in the world
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man um, what can we I'm catch a, you doing or what yeah, is it that you're so, I'm, so probably not um, you don't see me out a lot believe it or not no. like you won't see me out mingling or socializing a lot mm-hmm. but like I get my fill of mingling and socializing when I go to church and when, I, when I'm at my, my breathwork classes yeah. and my workshops like I love meeting that community yeah that community Um, but yeah, that's, that's my life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We could talk for hours because you've been all around the world. You've done so many things. It's so.
1: Yeah. You know, and I want, I, you know, I always add this, like, I think like I've gone through my life with all my tools and my breath and my cold, and I just feel like I'm getting stronger and stronger and I'm able to take on more and more, you know? And so I believe that all of us can take on more. It doesn't have to be any of the tools that I have talked about today, but it's that um, you have to know what your tools are and you have to recognize that tools can come in the form of people and teachers too, you know, Mm, recognizing that the people around you, including your family, is also a consistent teacher. Yeah. You know, and like no, noticing your emotions when you're around your family, noticing your emotions when you're around your children, noticing your emotions when you're around your colleagues are also tools yeah. to build your awareness. And then again, tapping back into your breath, you know, so like breath really is as basic as it gets, yeah. you know, like um, before I turned to Christianity, I was Muslim mm-hmm. and I was a very devout Muslim. So I want to make sure. That, you know, what I'm trying to say here is my my undertone throughout my life has always been love. Mm-hmm. And love has always driven me. You know, I felt extreme amounts, copious amounts of love when I was in Islam too. Mm-hmm. And so I had to do what I had to do in that yeah. moment for me. Yeah. Right. So it's that awareness, like none of the decisions I've taken in the past year yeah. And you're right, you know, like, I have gone through a lot of changes, you know, I'm currently going through a divorce, and I still love my husband very, very much. And he'll always be an angel in my life. And, you know, it's that awareness that 10 years or five years ago, this was not even a reality for me, where I could be on talking terms with the person I was breaking up with, you know, and recognizing it's not even something I'm doing for society. It's something that I'm doing because I, my heart is at a place where I have forgiven him for everything. I have asked him for forgiveness for everything I've done. And we have both mutually forgiven each other and recognized that we are at a place that our lives are calling us in different directions, you know. So it's, you know, getting to this place for me, when I look back at my life, like it's really been grounded in breathwork you know really been grounded in breathwork so i'm not talking about teaching i'm not talking about income right now i'm just talking about basics like my relationships in my life you know and it hasn't always been easy you know turning towards christianity really really hurt my family Mm. it was so so hurtful some of the comments that they made towards me you know and um Including questioning my intelligence about my decisions, you know, but I never fought them, you know, I just took it because I knew they were in pain and I recognized that if I fought back, then what am I showing? Yeah. I have not gone forward. I'm only moving backwards, yeah. right? So that awareness that how I behave in this situation also shows that I am truly becoming a more loving human being. The choices that I'm making is helping me become a more loving, patient, and forgiving human being. So no matter what you do in your life, choose the path that makes you more patient, loving, and forgiving. Because yeah. I don't know what else is there to life. Yeah.
0: That's <laughs> wonderful. Oh yeah. I mean, life's, as cliche as it is, life is a journey. Use everything you've got. Use yeah. all the love and grace that you have so that when you have those moments where it's like, this is it, I'm ready... You say you used everything you had. Yeah. Right? And I think practicing towards that, you'll see that through life, you know, right now, this is where you are in your life, and these are the things that you're gonna learn, and it might look different again. You yeah. know, and it's looked different in the past, you're open to it looking different in the yeah. future. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it so much.
1: Thank you, Isaac. I appreciate uh, it so too.
0: I hope maybe we'll do we could probably talk for a lot of things. So maybe in the future we'll do it again, you know? Yes, if for we're sure. open to it. But um, but yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: I appreciate you too. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of This Undefined. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Share the voice. And if you want more content to explore, as well as follow other projects we're working on, go to the website at www.thekilosproject.com and follow us on Instagram at The Kilos Project. Till next time, train, recover, create.